I have to say is, Alex, Pat, can you believe that people actually listen to the first one and want to hear a second podcast? I can. Uh, I, I can't. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't. Uh, it had like 200 <laughs> listens. I might have had it on in the background just on repeat. We're kind of a big deal. <laughs> I listened to it while I was going to sleep every night. Every night. Oh, wow. Every time I played Shovel Knight, I turned it back on because we said oh, that yeah. we had to do that. So I was like, okay, right, well, let me <laughs> let me turn it back on. But you never hear the end of it. You never get a full play. That's the... Yeah, I never, I, I never actually got to the end of the podcast because we say to stop the podcast, then play it. So I played Shovel Knight, and then I'd come back and, and you listen forget to where it. you were. You have to start over. Well, no, I would get to that <laughs> point and continue listening to the podcast. But then after that, later in the podcast, we say to stop and play Shovel Knight again. So then I'm playing Shovel Knight a second time. Yeah. Well, that's just the clever format of our podcast. It's it's kind of like a Souls game. It's uh, Time is convoluted, and there's cycles, and I don't fucking know. And we anyway. also work for Yacht Club. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> wow. I wish Check I it out. Yeah, right? <laughs> I said, check it out. So, welcome back, everybody. Yeah, welcome back. We are here again, back with... I know in last week's episode, we kind of just... <laughs> said next week's episode is going to be our next episode is going to be about this about this about this like there was probably about 28 <laughs> was, things uh, we yeah. said well we didn't say next time we just said that well, we would up. talk about it yeah <laughs> didn't but, say we swear maybe we crossed our fingers yeah it was you can't you can't been. tell it's it's simple as that we could do whatever we want on this side but this episode was suggested by me but i know this is one that's very close to alex <sighs> we're doing that. sekiro and the soulsborne games from Sekiro to Sahiro to Sahiro to Sekiro. I don't know. I don't know what I'm Sek- saying anymore. Sekiro to, to Sekiro. The soul of Sekiro, if you will. But uh, in case sex you're unaware. Zero. Sex sex. Zero. <laughs> ah, yeah. He said the sex thing. Uh, <laughs> it's funny. But in case you were uh, living under a rock these past two weeks, three weeks since Sekiro came out. Um, I I thought it was like three to a month around that. Yeah, we'll give it that. Uh, Sekiro is the newest game from From Software, the company that makes the masochism simulator Dark Souls. Um, Famous for making 3D dot game heroes. Yeah, 3D dot game heroes. They're big title. Yeah, they got big with Demon Souls, and then they they had a runaway success with Dark Souls, and they kind of milked that series to death. And then they did something a little bit different with Sekiro. They brought it back to a more grounded setting. Not a whole lot of like magical beasties and monsters. Like obviously, there's some magic to it because you know what's the point of the game if there's no magic? Yeah. But it's it's very much a, a grounding of the series. Like there was a lot of bombastic themes in a lot of the other games. You were you were fighting literal gods. In all of the other games, pretty much. And in this one, not so much. At least not until you get closer to the end of the game. I think this one was interesting, too, in the sense of... In terms of differences compared to the Dark Souls games, Demon Souls, Bloodborne. In those, you're kind of a nameless, faceless. And in this game, you have a set character. This is who you are. This is the story of this character, and you're playing through that. And I thought that was an interesting change yeah, from the other yeah. games in terms know. of narrative. It's kind of like everything. Like I, so I wrote notes on this. I, I try to be like real, real careful and thoughtful guy. Um, and my uh, 
subtitle for this section was uh, something old, something new. Like, you can see it in the way this game, like, they sacrificed a lot of what defined the Souls games, but there's still, like, that backbone there in a lot of ways, and, and it, it is refreshing, but you do see the FromSoft DNA. You got this new character who's, like, defined, but he's still a little bit kind of vague. He doesn't talk yeah. too much. Yeah. Uh, like they they sacrificed the the dark fantasy which came with a lot of like the big gods sort of stuff. Yeah, it went for the the like feudal Japan. Is, is that right? Feudal yeah, Japan. It's feudal, feudal Japan, Japan style. Um, but it's more like a like a low fantasy kind of game where it's not like you know a- angels and demons. It's like the evil of man kind of thing. Right. So they brought like some of the aspects, and we can go into that in detail. But like. It kind of transplanted really well to a whole different theming. It I did. Feel like. I I agree. It did. They they did a really good job of of maintaining the the core gameplay loop of the Soulsborne games without sacrificing what made them enjoyable while translating it over into a different theming and a different setting. Right. Their their definitive touch is still there. Yeah. Their their style. Yeah. And I think this actually would have been a great conversation for last week because. The Sekiro, if you told me that it was a sequel to the Souls games, I'd believe it. Like, it's, oh, yeah. it's very yeah. different, but I, it, it's still very much the same gameplay. Not the same, same, but it's it's very much similar gameplay. You'll you'll feel the FromSoft touch. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting, too, and I don't know, you know, if you guys got the same feeling through the game. Now, I'm going to... My biggest goal is I want to try to be as spoiler-free as possible yeah, because I know... It. You know, Pat hasn't finished the so, game yet, but others some have people as well. aren't good enough to beat this game. <laughs> <laughs> but one thing that I found interesting, at least it feels that way to me, is when you're talking about Dark Souls or Bloodborne, Demon Souls, the story is a little bit more, to me, interesting in the way that it is told a lot of ways through the lore in items and in different things you find throughout the world and just kind of through that exploration where this one's a little bit more straightforward. Yeah, It kind of tells you the story as you go through, and I thought it was a kind of a refreshing change from the other games. That it's more direct, I guess. But it it still, like, keeps that kind of A-linear storytelling. Um, Yeah. In the least spoilery way, like, you, you get a split a little early on where, like, you have, like, one path that I guess is kind of like the present time but then you can also go into like this whole other area that's the past i guess like a memory yeah the past i guess (laughs) um and and then you see like i guess memories of characters interacting so like you you don't get it all at once and i think what the way i put it is and this this kind of relates back to i think the sense that you get in dark souls is it it feels like you're living a legend yeah yeah it's kind of archaeological it's kind of archaeological. Yeah, it's archaeological. Way. It's legendary, and and they did that without just doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because the same thing wasn't working for them. Yeah, it, it got stale. It did, and I I think we're gonna got start getting into into other Souls games here. Uh, Dark Souls Three was about the series getting stale, like the entirety of the DLC. We're gonna get into spoilers here for for those who haven't played Dark Souls Three yet. I mean, I feel like. It's been a couple of years. It's okay to get into the moratorium's that. almost over. Yeah, the moratorium's yeah. almost over. So <laughs> spoilers, spoilers ahead for the just assume the entire Dark Souls series, Dark Souls one, two, and three. But in three, the entirety of the DLC, there were two DLC packs released, and all of them were about out with the old. 
the 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 painted world the painting yeah. was rotting because it it had been sustained for so long much like the dark souls series it was kind of an analog for how miyazaki felt going into that game like dark souls 1 was about the cycle it was about the cycle of the linked fire dark souls 2 was about how continuing that cycle is dangerous for the world around it that's basically what Dark Souls 2 was all about. It was about the cycle restarting and all of the bad things that came along with trying to sustain it. And Dark Souls 3 was like, set the whole thing on fire. That was the entirety of Dark Souls 3. There, there were people who were realizing that the cycle was garbage, that you had uh, Lord Lothric yeah. who refused to relink the fire because he realized that this cycle was actually toxic for the world. And then you had the DLC where there it's the painting and it's rotting and your main goal is to burn it. Just burn the entire thing. And it's they they rebuilt something special out of it, I think, with Sekiro. But yeah. It, it it definitely felt in similar to me to the way Bloodborne felt. It definitely felt kind of refreshing. Even yeah. though Bloodborne is definitely a lot, a lot more similar to Dark Souls and Demon Souls than Sekiro is. I mean, Sekiro is more just in in terms of narration. I feel like it's a lot closer to, uh, I don't know. I guess you could even say like a Fallout, yeah, or like a or like a Uncharted, yeah, than a than a Dark Souls where Bloodborne was a little bit more like that Bloodborne right. style yeah. or the Dark Souls style. Like I uh, so I'm speaking from ignorance. I haven't played Bloodborne yet, but I get the sense that like where Bloodborne was kind of like a modification of the formula, this goes like even further. Yes. Because like it, they saw that speed, that like kind of lack of defense, which you know, maybe isn't when you think about it, it doesn't really describe Sekiro, but it does go with that like fast paced. Yeah. Like just just leaning in on that sort of combat. Well, I I feel like Sekiro or Sekiro is kind of like you have dark souls on one side you have bloodborne on the other and i think sekiro kind of falls right in the, in the middle, middle yeah in terms of the the, the play style that it that it kind of gets you to play for like dark souls was very defensive it was kind of turtly hide behind your shield this is where it's safe analyze your surroundings and then figure out a plan of attack the word i came up with was procedural procedural is, like is methodical yeah. yeah whereas bloodborne they, there are a lot of mechanics in that game and a lot of the enemy placements in that game that kind of incentivized a slap fight play style where you just kind of run in and smack trading. Dudes. Yeah, you just trade. A lot of, of trading. Because of the rally healing, you know, you take damage. If you deal damage after that, you get some of the health back. And it really kind of pushes you towards that hyper-aggressive play style. On top of, you know, having the blood vials, like, almost readily available. You can grab uh, yeah. them from enemies, so you constantly uh, have healing, healing items. Yeah, exactly. So it was really made about being aggressive. And Sekiro kind of goes back towards Souls, but with that, that focus on aggression. Like, you kind of get back to that defensive play style... But your best bet, usually, you know, 99 times out of 100, is to stay in their face and try to deflect or prevent them from trying to get away. Like, you really want to be up in their face. You want to be constantly attacking. You want to be deflecting their attacks. There's always something for you to do in combat, but it is still kind of defensive in that way, in a way that Bloodborne was not. See, to me, I think it was interesting because in my 
playthrough of the game, I think the most important thing for me wasn't even so much being in their face in terms of the battle. For me, it was about the movement. Like, having the grappling hook and the way he moves around played such a big factor in how I went about battles. Um, there's a specific battle. I don't really want to spoil it. Mm-hmm. But there's a battle there's a battle where you're in like a swamp and there's trees all over the place and you can kind of grapple from tree to tree. Yeah. And it makes a really interesting fight when you're using that movement in conjunction with different like ninjutsu and stuff that you get throughout the game. It makes yeah. a really interesting battle style that's a lot different than the others. I think uh, that was a way that it really differentiated itself. Yeah, it was it was refreshing in that way. Yeah. But I think when you when you start talking about these games, there's there's always a a, a, a need to to compare them to what came before, like you know, Sekiro, Dark Souls, Bloodborne, even Demon Souls, which Ninja I personally guy didn't. Ninja Guy oh, didn't. Yeah, nin- <laughs> <laughs> Devil mean, May Cry. What? <laughs> De- Devil May Souls. Um, actually, that, that May sounds like Souls? Would be, Devil May Souls. That sounds like it could be like a good crossover. Like, can you imagine like the Chosen <laughs> Undead as Dante? Dante, yeah. yeah, that'd be pretty good. <laughs> I'd play it. I'd play it. I'd play it. Yeah. All right, so I got it. Anyway, ask. <laughs> I do have to ask this question. I mean, we're talking about these games, and there's one thing that we didn't like say at the beginning, and I thought it would be an interesting thing to talk about because we've definitely spoken about it ad nauseum to each other yeah but to have it on the podcast i think is interesting where do you list them what is that hierarchy of game for you in terms of top to bottom where would you put them now obviously if 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 you haven't played the game you exclude it but it's time for bad rngs top five souls games number five it's time for the power rankings. <laughs> <laughs> so, interestingly enough, I was thinking about it more and more after finishing Secure. I thought about it more and more. And I don't know. I think we might all be in agreement on our least favorite game. Yeah. Um, probably. But I'm not 100% sure. I think me and Alex are on the same page. I don't know. I think it's a toss-up. Dark Souls 3 is my least favorite. Yeah, Dark Souls 3 is, is my least favorite. That's uh, an easy one. I have, like, a special title for it. It's just, like, the least memorable. That's, yeah. I think, what bothers me the most about yeah. it. Yeah. I think it's probably attributed to... Personally, I put it to, like, specifically that it doesn't feel like they really finished it. Yeah. yeah. Like, whatever they were doing with that story, it, it just feels like they didn't quite come around on whatever, like, theming whatever, whatever or idea it was. Had, like. Yeah. There, there's like a whole bunch of ideas and they're all in there, but it's like I always eh. questioned one of my favorite fights in that game was the Nameless King. And I'm like, there wasn't really anything told about the Nameless King. You just go in there and fight and it, that's yeah. it. And, and I, like, I mean, he has significance after the fact once you find out that he's like actually Gwyn's son. Yeah. But that kind of pulls out a lot of the, the speculation from the first game about who Gwyn's son was. Because yeah. all it ever said about him was he was the god of war and his name was like basically redacted out of history. Yeah. And there's nothing known about him. Like, I think that's a great mystery to keep holding over people. And then you find out he ran off with Ornstein to help the dragons yeah. i guess yeah like <laughs> it really deflates the mystery and yeah. that's that's the danger with like sequels and prequels and all that is mm-hmm. is like over explaining it deflates the mystery of the things that were previously compelling because you like maybe didn't know everything yeah yeah 
Yeah, and kind of like over explaining that kind of took away from some of that. So going going up the list, I think this is where a lot of us are, are going to differ with the uh, the second <laughs> worst game. Um, for me personally, it would be actually what would it be? Probably Dark Souls Two. <laughs> Dark Souls Two, Dark the Souls carefully or, considered list, but it's <laughs> but it's it's weird. It like depends on my mood. I've thought about I, this for three minutes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and I then think we it's, just sit here in silence for three minutes. Like <laughs> I have now thought about this. Just sitting minutes. here, hmm, 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 the hmm cast. Take this time, pause the podcast for three minutes. <laughs> if you need a bathroom break, and then, then we time. tell them to pause it, and then we just sit here in silence, and they come back, and it's. It's more, more silence. Yeah. Go play Shovel Knight. <laughs> Go play Shovel Knight, yeah. <laughs> Go play Shovel Knight, come back, and then tell us when, what's number, what's the second least favorite but it, Soulsborne. It, it depends on my mood, because I like I enjoyed Bloodborne, but I kind of feel the same about Bloodborne, and I'm kind of in the minority here. Like I kind of feel the same way about Bloodborne that I do about Dark Souls 3, in that it wasn't really all that memorable. Like The best part about it was the setting, like, in my opinion, the best part about Bloodborne was the setting, but the gameplay itself I didn't find to be too engaging. I, I feel like they kind of fell into that trap that they kind of fell into with Dark Souls 2 with just mass enemy mobs, and at least with Dark Souls 2, the combat encounters were interesting. When you had multiple enemy mobs, a lot of those encounters were interesting, and your goal wasn't to kill all of them, it was to kill certain ones so that, you know, the... the there were there were puzzle aspects to those fights in Dark Souls 2 as well, and you didn't really get a whole lot of that in Bloodborne. It was just the gameplay itself. Was it was a lot that. more straightforward. It was a lot more straightforward. Yeah. And when it comes to these kind of games, I don't like straightforward. Like Dark Souls One was not straightforward. Like you're you're being manipulated by a giant snake into killing the king of the gods so he can burn you on the world fire. Or something like some a couple of snakes <laughs> with big fleshy mustaches yeah, they, got some some issues. Yeah, they got and, some issues with each other or with themselves. I I don't know, but it was the opposite of straightforward. Yeah, I think I think like like you were talking about the things that really sold me on it. Like I actually kind of enjoyed the the more. I guess just because of of the change of pace, I really enjoyed that change of style to the more aggressive style in yeah. in Bloodborne and. The, the setting I absolutely love. I love the setting of Bloodborne. Oh, the, the I think Victorian above every... Yeah, like, like oh, I think I love that above every other game in terms of the setting. And I like the way the story was told, yeah. too. And it's a really interesting story. Um, though, I mean, I, I thought Sekiro's story was really well told. Dark Souls 1's story was really well yeah. told. It's more 2 and 3 that... I'm not huge on for me my my second to second from the bottom because I can't think of how many games there are right now is it five or six 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 yeah so it'd be number five would be Dark Souls two is it six yeah three 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 Dark Souls Demon Souls Bloodborne and And Sekiro Sekiro. okay yep carry the two and then yeah divide by seven yeah yeah six six yeah (laughs) did you say divide by Tuesday he did (laughs) (laughs) he did don't question my math. I mean, you got there eventually. <laughs> he, he That's got the important the right thing. Answer. Yeah. So, what about you? Mm, what would be? 
What'll be your second? From the so bottom? like I, I gotta admit so like I didn't play Bloodborne. Yeah. Um, I didn't play like the DLC for three either. So like I got some incompletes there, but uh, yeah, you're not missing much. Yeah, you're not missing much. Yeah. The the Ring World was uh, the Painted World was uh. Yeah, I mean, I don't know the the conceptual of idea a of a DLC about how like. You know, it's it's getting kind of like too much. Like yeah. sounds good, but it also sounds like a, you know, it it kind of like gameplay wise, like really devolved into the slog of like that that high level play. Yeah. yeah. Uh, good in theory. Um, no, so I guess like Dark Souls Two is the next one for me. Uh, I, I like it better than Three in a way. Uh, because it, it like tried to tell like a different sort of story. Yeah, there were um, a lot of different like mechanics at play in that game as well. Like. You also had, like, the power stance. Yeah, we talked about it last yeah. week about the power stance and the change in New Game Plus. Like, right. enemy placement changed. I guess I can kind of give or take the power stance. Uh, you know, it's it's cool. I don't know if it was, like, integral. No. Um, they, no. They tried something, it's, though. It's an idea, and that's it. Like, they, they had some ideas they threw in there that were... It, like, they sit in two ways with me. Like Especially, like, the world aesthetic. Like, there's more saturated colors. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's where I appreciate it more because it, like has a unique identity yeah but it also like i feel like it kind of went too in all these different new idea directions yeah i can understand that see i think that's an interesting point that you brought up too with the scenery because i always hear mixed things how people feel about that because they're like you know there's very colorful saturated areas in that game where dark souls one is a lot darker more gray a lot of, a lot and of blue it's kind of muted yeah, yeah it's very muted but you know, I always, when I think about stuff like that, I always go back to things like, funny enough, Castlevania. I can always bring something back to Castlevania of if anybody course. ever wonders. You look <laughs> Just like <laughs> I can bring anything back to Souls. Speaking of Castlevania, about Dark Souls. Um, I, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Castlevania, <laughs> Castlevania 1 was very colorful. And I think it was to its benefit in a lot of ways where Dark, where Dark Souls... Castlevania 2 a lot of people had complaints about it because of that more muddy tone yeah it the game has a darker tone that doesn't necessarily mean that a game has to be muted in terms of like color and presentation right so like I I still feel like Castlevania has a pretty ordinary aesthetic the 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 contrast of colors is really a a functional thing you know It, it lets you see like here's Simon the orange part is the floor. The blue part is skeletons. Like you can cle- see, these are clearly different things. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it, that was important with the the limited color palette of those old consoles too. Good decision. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And and that was that. That's my. That, that's kind of how I felt about Dark Souls Two. At least is I like the idea of having these more saturated, more colorful areas because it kind of in a weird way, kind of showed you what the world could have been, sort of? Well, I I think it kind of showed, like, the whole purpose of it was to kind of show the the success of that world. Yeah. Right? Like, the the whole premise of Dark Souls 2 was this, this king who had basically ushered in a golden age for his people before throwing it all away for some woman, which is basically the plot of dark souls too yeah mean, she was there's a whole thing with who this woman was she was a, a shard of the soul of manis like part of the the actual dark soul so it was all the worst parts of humanity it, whatever don't worry about that he threw it all away for some woman to start a war 
but he ushered in this age of prosperity and you can see a lot of that prosperity like even early in the game you see some of the ruins like in some of the the the, the iron keep is another really good example with this giant ornate like iron fortress that was built because of the success of this king and it kind of brought in like you're, you're kind of seeing the the slow decline as opposed to the first game where you were already at the bottom yeah. right the first game the world had already declined it was there was no way you're coming back to that golden age and the only time you ever see a hint of it is your short time in n orlando and if you kill uh guinevere then that goes away too yeah Right, it's it's all already dead. Yeah, it's all already gone. And so in that, like, I think that's why I, I have like a certain respect for Dark Souls too. Is is you know, I, I think that you kind of skip past it, but this is what I like is like there's a, a theming there of you know like ages of kings who came with strength and power, and then like the the shards of darkness that were like their queens that came and usurped it. Yeah, and like that's that's kind of a cool concept, almost so much that like a. I kind of wish it wasn't a Dark Souls game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can, I can, I can understand that. Yeah, like if it was named of... like Colorful Souls, <laughs> Colorful, <laughs> Bright Souls, Bright. <laughs> Light Souls. That's an interesting point about like the the kings of old, like and their their the shards of darkness that that end up consuming them, and you see that in in all of the DLC. Like they're they're all surrounding these these powerful crowns that signified the power of these kings, and all of them. Uh, either were brought down by by a shard of manis, a, the, a piece of darkness. You could see it as a metaphor for like the darkness inside them, their ambition, or, or what have you. Uh, there was one in particular who was brought down by his own hubris, and when his shard of darkness came to collect, he was already gone. In your hubris. <laughs> so I think that's cool. Like that that's strong theming, and that's extremely my jam. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was super cool. It was just kind of inaccessible because the game was unnecessarily difficult. It was that's... very very difficult, no doubt about that. Yeah, and there the, the the thing I find funny about every Souls game, with the exception of the first one, actually, is like in Dark Souls Two, Dark Souls Three, Bloodborne, and Sekiro. All of them, none of them have, like, a, a player-activated easy mode, but all of them have a hard mode in-game that you can activate. Uh, Dark Souls 2 had the Covenant of Champions. Uh, Dark Souls 3, I believe, also had a Covenant of Champions, yes. if I'm not mistaken. Sekiro has a big bell. Yeah, Sekiro's got the big bell. <laughs> yeah, the demon bell. Um, what did Bloodborne have? Um, I mean, for Dark Souls One, there was a hard mode, but you didn't get that until you killed one of the hardest bosses in the game. That was the, uh, the the ring that you get from Calamy. What the hell, like Desolation Ring? Yeah, whatever the hell it was called. The but, hard mode ring. You also but everything else, like all of the hard modes, are accessible from the beginning. Like Sekiro, you can remove the ability to resurrect. Yep, and you have the bell. Like it's somebody might have made that mistake in New Game Plus. Uh-oh. Oops. Oh, I might have done that by mistake. It's the only reason I know about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me me, and to give some context to everybody, me and Alex were speaking on Discord as I was doing it, and I, I don't want to give away what happened, but there's an item that I guess I wasn't supposed to give back. Yeah. And I did. And my, rea my reaction is, oh, no. Oh, no. This isn't what I wanted at all. <laughs> I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> I've made a huge mistake. <laughs> 
And he's just yelling this into my ear. I'm like, what did you do? He's like, I gave him the thing, and now I can't resurrect anymore. I'm like, oh, you made a huge mistake. <laughs> oh, no. I'm so sorry. Oh, yeah, no. It, it happens. Oh, no. Um, but I, the, the the theming in the in Sekiro is, is really, really Japanese. Like, yeah. Uh, it it kind of feels like an anime you can play. Like, if a dating simulator were a real game, kind of. In a lot of ways, yeah. yeah like In a lot of ways, it's definitely very, you know... And it, it's, it, it works a lot to set up that theming, too. Like, the first, you know, half hour, 45 minutes of gameplay, you're talking, like, 20 minutes of cutscenes. Yeah. Just to set up these characters and their relationships. Is it worth it? I think it is, especially for the big twist that comes around the three-quarters mark, which... Pat has no idea. I'm probably right on the doorstep of. No, you're, <laughs> no, no, you're, you're, you're pretty, you're pretty far. good distance oh, away. Geez. Yeah, you're oh, jeez. Oh, jeez. You're good distance yeah, away. There's... For reference, for anybody who specifically wants to know, uh, I'm stuck at uh, Genichiro. Uh, the first Genichiro. Wow, that, that guy just rips me apart. The first Genichiro. He owns me. Um, but there's another fight that takes place on top of that that castle. And yeah, depending on castle. A, depending on a decision you make just before that fight, it's either one fight or a different one, and it changes the whole course of the game. But there's a, it's a huge moment in in the game where you decide which side you're going to take, and you don't really see anything like that in terms of the the Souls games generally, where there's like there's there's a moment that's a big obviously a, a key moment, like this yeah. is a climax here. You don't get a whole lot of that. You just kind of get to like like the 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 beginning of the end of the third act yes that's but this is the beginning of the third act there's this huge reveal about what is actually going on and you, you don't have those moments in the other souls games and i feel like a lot of that is because of the the focus on the character in sekiro yes I think that change to, like I said at the very beginning of the podcast, from being like a nameless, faceless to this is a person with a personality with, well, I mean, how much personality you see in him, but, yeah. you know, who had his own ambitions, has his own things going on. I think that really played a big role. He in, has a purpose in yes. the world that he inhabits. Yes. You're and also kind of running into people, like, which, is, you know, there's a few NPCs in the Dark Souls games, but you never run into, like, four people just, like, chilling in a room, you know, like, yeah. with, with Jinichiro and, and Emma and uh, and the Boy Lord, you know, yeah. like, that's yeah. that's pretty lively for, for a From game, mm -hmm. you know? Yes. And like even some of like the the enemies have their own personalities like after there's a there's after you get the ingredients for the thing that you're going for and you go back to Ashina Castle before this this big reveal there's a change in the castle where some new enemies are there and the old enemies are scared of them. And I remember when I first got back there um I remember like going through this door and I'm getting ready to fight one of these little foot soldiers and he's like running at me, arms flailing, like yeah. just up in the air. And I'm like, what the fuck is this guy doing? And then he hides in a corner and cowers. And I'm like, what are you hiding from? And then I see it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I see one of the, the, the red hatted shinobi and I'm like, oh, 
okay. And then I hear fighting up ahead, and some of the en- some of the the enemies are fighting, and you can get involved or you cannot. But it's it's this really big moment where you realize that a lot of like that you're involved in this conflict that you actually don't really care about. Like there's yeah, this, there's this big you're, civil it, war it's going kind on. Of like, secondary to your purpose. Yeah. Even but, though your purpose still fully ties into that, what's going on with that civil yes. war. I, I think it's interesting because in that way, I think it really helped with the world building of that game. Made it feel a little bit more... Um, in a weird way, that helped for me... Uh-oh, is he going to say it? Is he going to say that, the word? What? The, more immersed? <laughs> yeah. It did. He I, said it. I think it did. In terms of immersion, I think it helps when you see things like that oh. happen. When right. people have their own, their own, you know, uh, agendas that they're oh, I, following. I wholeheartedly agree, and so that's what brought me into the first Dark Souls. Is that the NPCs all had their own stories outside of what the character like? They would come back to the main area, but they would leave again to go do something. It's it's kind of what made Dark Souls work for that diegetic kind of, of immersion, you know, like that realistic, I don't know if that's the right word, way of doing it. The, there's an irony that when you kept doing that, it stopped being different. So, yeah. like, coming back yeah. to a cinematic style of storytelling, not that the whole game is cutscenes, but, like, that you see story moments, like, pretty just laid out. Yeah, you know, this like, isn't Metal Gear Solid 3. <laughs> <laughs> or 4, I'm sorry, 4, not 3, 4. 45 minutes of Codex. Codec conversations. Oh, there's no codec. Nine, no, it's just cutscenes now. It's just cutscenes. It's just cutscenes of people telling each other lots of lore. <laughs> Ninety minute cutscene at the end of that game. Never forget it. Ninety minutes. Hashtag never forget. Grab Man. popcorn. MGS4. <laughs> Certainly extra. Snape kills Dumbledore at the end. Snake kills Dumbledore. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> wow. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> but that wasn't the real Dumbledore. <laughs> the um. It was from Metal Gear. Metal Gear Dumbledore. I think this is the point where I think the most deviation is going to happen in terms of our game choices. Oh, yeah, that's right. We were having a conversation. Yeah, we were doing power rankings. Yeah, we were doing power rankings. That's right. This is where I think it'll deviate the most. Yeah, I would agree. Um, For me, next game on my list would be Demon Souls. Um,. I love Demon Souls. I thought like the way you can see so clearly how how much it influenced Dark Souls. Obviously, oh, yeah. even though again we talked about it last week, it's not technically a sequel, but it kind of well, it kinda it's a prequel, is. but yeah, it's spiritual success. Yeah, if, if actually like I kind of see a different timeline here, where like the sequels of the series are like this, where you go from Demon Souls to Dark Souls to Bloodborne to Sekiro, where like there's not really any sort of like direct tie-in. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, we're in this timeline and yeah. can't do nothing about that. It's, it's, they're kind of like Final Fantasy games at that point. Like it was you interesting. It I thought the Nexus was a really interesting way of like making the world work. Um. Well, they certainly gave it its own thing. Like, there's there's a lot of lore to it as opposed to, say, like, Dark Souls 3. I feel like Firelink Shrine never really paid off as a hub. No. No, and they had built it up a lot, and it didn't really do much of anything. In the and game. and to be fair, I, you know, I'll say the same thing about Bloodborne. Hunter's Dream was kind of just Meh. It's there. the hub. Like, you yeah, can literally hub. describe that, where, like, the Nexus has a reason to exist and, like, this whole sort of identity to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think that they wanted to do something with the Firelink Shrine. Like, you can see it in the, the one, like, completely blank area. Yeah. Um, 
but I, I kind of get the feeling that it was just an unfinished portion that they left in. Yeah. Now, when I, now I have to bring it up because it's like I said, it's the it's number four on my list. One of the reasons it could have it could have even been higher is the intro. Oh, the intro! The intro, the intro might make it the best game in the like, series. It's so the intro might make it the best game of all time. The, the intro is the best game of all time. So again, the intro is the best game of all time. Again, and the Oscar goes to the Demon Souls intro. Again, I'm saying it. Pause the podcast. Look up the Demon Souls intro on YouTube. Watch it. It's the greatest thing ever. And yeah. then watch it again. Yeah, just to to make sure you get the full effect. I love that. I love that <laughs> intro. My everybody knows my favorite part. If you've been to my streams, yeah. I actually have a soundboard button with my favorite part yeah. of the intro. It's a good one too. Because the thing is, I think the thing that makes it so funny is very serious game. Like it, it you get the feeling from that game immediately. But the way the music is done is so over the top. Oh yeah, it doesn't care if you think it's it's going too far. Like, no, it's 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 like the '80s movie version of video games. <laughs> you've got the choir, you've got horns, you've got a, the organ, the, the organ, spooky organ, the spooky <laughs> organ, like everything together <laughs> makes it one of my favorite things of all time. The brass. <laughs> <laughs> It's the I've yeah, got a wonderful go memory it. of it where so at the end of it the dragon god comes up and he's like huge and it, it's kind of it's almost a little more like the bloodborne thing where it's like cosmic horror he's enormous yeah. and he just comes up and Rah! he screams and <laughs> I, I was living with you know a couple of roommates back when I first played this and when that part came up the dragon god comes up and does it, and my own roommate's like, "So was he singing or something?" Because the, <laughs> the choir is singing there too. <laughs> I think about that oh, a lot. That's great, <laughs> it consumes me actually. It was a pretty big moment in my life. But it is, it is a like to this day a game that holds up really well. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of you know nods to it in Dark Souls. Well, it even see. seems like Sekiro has them, like, with a changing sort of world status after you make certain decisions. Like, it yeah. kind of feels a little bit out of the vein of, like, a world tendency. Was yeah. that it? Yeah. World tendency versus unseen aid. Where, like, the world changes. And, like, I, I haven't gotten to make that decision, but, like, areas that were one way are now another with different enemies. Like, yeah. within the same playthrough. And I, I think that's kind of... Awesome, even if yeah. it doesn't exactly make sense if you're going to be like like game analyzer YouTuber, <laughs> you know, where we're going to break down the gameplay. Like, yeah. You know, it doesn't make sense, and that's fine, because, you know, this is a different sense. game. It's a video game. Just relax. It doesn't have to make sense. So what do you got it for? Uh, for four, well, I'm only going to have five games on my list, because okay, I so three. haven't played Demon's Souls. But number three has probably got to be Bloodborne. Bloodborne. Yeah, because, uh, like... My my top two like I, I waffle back and forth between Dark Souls two and Bloodborne and a lot of people looking at you Frank would put Bloodborne on top. Um, not to thanks for giving away wow. my number one. Wow, spoilers! <laughs> I thought you said there were no spoilers in this podcast. <laughs> not for Sekiro. <laughs> <laughs> Ruining my number one. But there there are a I lot might of as people. Well go home. I mean, I am home, but that was fast. His home. Yeah. But uh, a lot of people would put Bloodborne on top, and I get it, but. It's my my two games on top. It's so hard to beat either of them. Like I I can't in good faith put Bloodborne any higher than that on my list. 
Like I, I liked it. I enjoyed it. I, I didn't get the same kind of visceral reaction as I did from my next two games. And I guess it's wrong because the next one, I guess, for me is Demon Souls. And like, I don't know that I actually like it that much more than Dark Souls 2, per se. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I th- I'm pretty sure I like it a little bit more because, again, like it's it's very grounded, like... It's not just the colors, but the whole aesthetic is is more plain. And I think that adds to like those dramatic moments where you see something that's that's really kind of terrifying, you know? Yeah. 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 I also just like that there's not like gigantic swords. I don't know. That that really kind of took me out of it when I saw them in like Dark Souls games after the first one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like in the first one, there was like one or two like ridiculously massive swords, but they're hideous. The Great Club. Yeah. Well, the the Great Club, uh, the Moonlight Great Sword. Except the Moonlight Great Sword, great which sword. is like the ultimate weapon. And the Great yeah. Sword, the Great Sword itself. But like but, mostly the cool stuff in Dark Souls One, like looks stupid. Like it really doesn't want to let you look cool at all. Yeah. No, yeah. it doesn't. It wants you to look ridiculous. But then like every other weapon in Dark Souls Two is. Just ridiculously oversized. You had the the demon's hammer. You had uh, it was a smelter demon hammer. The giant yeah. chicken leg. It was the fume knight sword. There was all kinds of great swords. There was I mean, you get clouds buster sword. I mean, you're carrying around a concrete slab on a stick at one point. <laughs> like I'm I'm not even joking. Pause the podcast. Go look up the fume knight sword. It is literally a slab of concrete on the end of a stick. Yeah, pretty much. Like a like if you've played Fallout Four, the 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 rebar poles that the giant like behemoths use. Yeah, it's like that, and, and about the same size too. It's ridiculous, and I love it. I still think one of the most ridiculous weapons is Smo's hammer. Oh, Smo's hammer is great though. You're like Jesus. <laughs> it, it looks kind of like one of those things with like a, a nice like drink mixing set, like the little <laughs> yeah. thing to measure out shots, I guess. <laughs> but uh, so what's what's number three on on Frank's list here? Number three. Th- oh, we got you. That's. I was like, did we skip Pat? Did we? Did we make sure to get everyone here, or am I just kind of dicking everyone around today? So number three on my list. It's interesting because. I was talking about this before. I don't really have a number three. I have two number twos. Because... Hey. <laughs> like poop. <laughs> Poopy joke. He pooped twice. <laughs> Doo-doo. For me, Dark Souls 1 and Sekiro, I can't pick between them. I've, I've really sat there and analyzed both. And I love them for entirely different reasons but i love both of them just the same yeah if that makes any sense no, at makes, all makes so. sense. see i only have one number two <laughs> and uh, it, it's an obvious sekiro like, more it's, poopy it's, it's it's easy to say sekiro in that instance like it's it's just such a good game like the theming the the the, the, the gameplay loop the new mechanics like the deflection the prosthetic tools like all of the different utility that you're offered outside of combat, like there is, there was a lot that went into that game that was outside of the normal Souls formula, uh, but I feel like it helped add to the overall experience. Yeah, I think, I think the biggest thing for me was obviously that change of environment, and that was one of the reasons why I fell in love with Bloodborne too. Was that that huge change in environment yeah. from Sekiro from Dark Souls. And another thing that I think sometimes might get understated with that game is movement. Movement is so much fun in that game. You have a dedicated jump button 
finally. Yeah. You I feel like that's where they started. We're like, what if Dark Souls, but jumping? But jumping, yeah. <laughs> and a grappling hook. Like, yeah. you gotta you have, have a grappling, grappling hook. hook. It's like Bionic Commando in Feudal Japan. It's the best <laughs> thing ever, and I love it. As we all know, the best games have grapple hooks, except for the intro to Demon Souls. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that one gets by without. That's the exception. Doesn't need it. <laughs> <laughs> but the one thing, like, just going back for, for Souls in general, and the one thing that I, I like that they've done is they've contextualized the respawn. Yeah. Right. They've they've given you a reason why your character can die a million times and keep going. That isn't well. He just restarted the timeline or reloaded his save. Like no, in in Dark Souls one, you can't die and you're tied to the bonfire. In Bloodborne, you know you're you're tied to the Hunter's Dream. You're supposed to bring in, bring down the next Elder God. I think is what yes. it is. You're supposed to kill the next Elder or the God. Great Ones. The next Great One. Oh, I mean, it's an Elder God. It's, yeah. They can't call it that because, you know, copyright and all. But, yeah. Um, it's Lovecraftian. But they, they, they've contextualized the respawn. And this one, it's tied in with the, I don't know if you've gotten to this point, possible spoiler for Pet here. It's tied to the dragon's blood. Yes. There's dragons? <laughs> uh, there's one? Yes. Yeah, there's one. So it's basically Dark Souls. It's basically Dark Souls, yeah. But they, they've contextualized that, that mechanic, like... Of dying and tr- starting over, and they they've given an an in game reason for how you can do that over and over again. Yeah, and, and I feel like that certainly helps the uh, the immersion, and I, I I love that about it. It's now I have to ask this question because it's something that's been discussed a lot, a lot about this game, and we've seen it happen almost every time one of these games comes out. We can talk about. The discussion of difficulty and the easy mode, the quote-unquote easy yeah. mode that people ask for. I have but, that on my list as the elephant in the room. Because you yeah. can't discuss Dark no. Souls without the eventual topic coming up. Um, now, easy mode. here's the thing I wanted to discuss in particular that really I wanted to get your opinion on. Because I think it is. I think Sekiro is the harshest game when it comes to death. Yes, I would agree with that. Because every other game... Whether it's Bloodborne, whether it's Dark Souls, Demon Souls, if you die, you have the opportunity to get your souls back. You might need to, you know, pop a humanity or whatever, but that's another story. Or rekindle your... Your bonfire. Re- yeah, whatever. whatever it is. You gotta go get your Johns. Yeah, you gotta go get but your stuff. Pick you up have, your pants. You can lose skill points. And you're not getting them back unless you get unseen aid in Sekiro, which is a huge loss. Actually, fun fact, you don't lose skill, skill points. You lose your half your progress toward your next skill point. Oh, okay. So if it comes, if you have like one experience. You'll still have that one. Yeah, you'll still hold on to that okay. skill point. You'll just lose your progress towards the next one. And you but lose the, what, like half your money? Half I, your I money. Think? Half your money. Yeah. You, you lose so much. Like, so it really emphasizes how important those uh the the I guess hard assets in your inventory are, like yeah, the, the yeah. money pouches. The money like, pouches. And, boy, and were they important for me? Yeah. I will say this, at least for my playthrough, I didn't really have an issue with money, but I mean, not until I wanted to like buy some of the end game stuff. I will say, at least in my experience, I guess I don't know. 
it was the perfect blend for me. I don't know. Something about Sekiro made it the perfect blend for me because my first playthrough was roughly 18 hours. Yeah. Took me about 18 hours to beat the game and I started breaking it down because I was saying it to Alex the night I finished it. I wish I knew how many times I actually died. There's no metric to see how many times you died. And I started going through it in my head. I'm like, okay, this is what happened here. This is what... And it might have been like 35 times throughout the entire game. Like, for some reason, that game was it for me. Not saying that the game is not difficult. Right. But something about the way Sekiro played in particular, I just worked with really well. I think because it reminded me of... um, like the Ninja Gaiden 3D games that they yeah. came out for the Xbox. Very similar to those. And those are disgustingly difficult. Yeah. So it was kind of like a return to form in that in a weird way. I think it's I think it's interesting because while Sekiro does have the harshest penalty for death, I actually think it's one of the easiest of the Soulsborne games in terms of like once you once it clicks, once you get good then it the is get good get moment good. Quote, yeah yeah once quotes. once it once the gears start to finally click and turn it's one of the easiest soulsborne games out there yeah i think it's all so about it's one of the, the hardest mechanics. to die yeah it's it's all about the mechanics the deflect and the block and like you have so much mobility like you can respawn like that extra respawn or not respawn resurrect yeah that that revive in combat is huge for cutting down on the number of deaths and the penalty for death. But I feel like once you get good, it's it's not really anything. Like I'm I'm working on my new game plus playthrough right now and I'm just about done already. It's <laughs> the face is Yeah, I got I got I got to go great. in another direction. Like this is probably the hardest one for me. Like I am I am so boned. Like I've died more than 35 times on a single boss. <laughs> More than one single boss, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but, but no, so I, I, did, the, I don't know. Like, I almost go in the other direction where I feel like because it's just your progress towards another skill point, and like, given that money really isn't like that important most of the time, like, I feel like you can just throw yourself at things. And I kind of like that because yeah. I'm just yeah. getting rocked. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, um, but as we were talking about, I want to address the elephant in the room as, as, Pat said there's always the discussion when these games come out there's typically an article that comes out on some gaming journalist website about should this game have an easy mode and I thought in a lot of ways I was thinking about what is Sekiro what is Bloodborne Soulsborne whatever you want to call it and I was reading through a thread on Twitter that I thought was really interesting where they were talking about they spoke with Miyazaki about the games and Miyazaki's thing was it's about success through persistence like that's the idea of the game is that it's not about just going in and kind of breezing through it's about you know working towards this goal and ultimately reaching it and the question is is a game meeting its goal if there's people who cannot meet that standard is is that on the player or is that on the creator? What can they do to make it more accessible while not changing the entire like the entire feel of a game? And I thought it was a really interesting discussion. If I can find it before we get this up, I'll put a link in the description for the podcast so you can see the text thread that I read through. It was really it was a really engaging discussion because I thought 
they talked about the fact that Sekiro had the ability to change your button layout. Yeah. And I think that's a nice step to help people who, okay, it is kind of an a weird style of playing a game with the Dark Souls, Soulsborne games. Like, yeah. that button layout is very odd comparatively to other games. Right. But it but, works for what it's trying to but do. But it works for what it's trying to achieve. But some people might not be able to work with that. So I think that was a nice step. But it's... Does it really need... And what... I guess the ter- it, it's more what is yeah. easy Yeah, like you got to think about yeah. what an easy mode is. Uh, yeah. I expect I'm coming in as the, the divergent opinion here. Because, like, I'll actually say I don't think an easy mode, if you, like, kind of broaden your senses about it, would ruin this. Let me see what I got. So, like, if you if you could, like, weave it into the game, I think it would work kind of all right. And I feel like you almost got to do it in a way that's not as overt as hard mode. Yeah. Like, when you ring that bell, you know what you're getting into. You're seeking that out. When you yeah, go to the, yeah. the, the, the champion... What, what's the one in Dark Covenant, Souls 2? Covenant of Champions. The, Covenant, the, the Cult of Champions. Um, <laughs> like, you know what you're getting into. Um, where, like, I feel like it's actually kind of precedented. And I got to go with what I know. I got to go with Dark Souls 1. I feel like things like uh, sorcery is kind of an easy mode. I yeah. feel like kindling bonfires kindling is kind bonfires. of easy mode. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like cooperative is kind of easy mode. I would even say things like Hovel's Ring almost brim on it, you know? Mm-hmm. Or so the like Dark Wood Grain Ring. Ring of favor of protection. It's like woven Sorry. into the game, and I think it's natural, and it doesn't like demean the player for using it. But at the same time, what pretty much all of the things that you talked about use up one of the player's resources. You know, right. you kindle bonfires that cost humanity. You know, if you want to do co-op, that costs humanity. If you want to use Havel's ring, that costs a ring slot, half of your ring slots actually. Like there, there are resources that need to be put into it in order to get anything out of it. So you're you're losing something in order to gain that easy mode. Right. Is that a good thing? Is I think is ultimately the question. I don't think it's a bad thing. Well, here's no. here's one of my biggest problems, and I I just don't understand this, and this was part of the conversation. I mean, you're going to find toxic environments if you're on social media, period. Like, everybody knows this. But listening to people whose argument is, well, an easy mode, if you can't beat it, that's your fault. It how My question is simple, and if, if people want to jump on me, fine, so be it, I don't care. How is somebody else having that ability harm your experience with a game? Yeah, I don't I don't get the sacredness around yeah, around the bragging rights. I think that's a little Like I, I just don't understand yeah. that. Like I understand like I get it. I get that feeling that yeah. you get when you beat a Dark Souls game, when you beat Soul when you beat Bloodborne, when you beat Sekiro, you get that like God damn it, I did it. And like, that's and that's why I play these games. I play them for that. I did it moment, you know? Right. When the, you see the health bar go to zero and the boss fades to dust and you're like, it's over. Yeah, a feeling of relief. Yeah. Like, and, I do like that, that moment where my hands are shaking. Yeah, it was, it's like, oh, it happened. Like, yeah. It's, yeah! it's done. It's yeah. over. Like, I did it. Suck I it, Grandma it. Butterflies. It's, it's the <laughs> same reason. Like, this is the same reason that you can see why people fall in love with Battle Royale games. Why people fall... Like... We had it happen last night. Me and Alex were playing Apex Legends. We win the game. And you just get you get that feeling when it yeah. happens. You're like, God damn it, yeah. Like, you just, you're so pumped at that yeah. moment. And that's what you want. I think that's what people look for. But taking that opportunity from somebody else away, even though it will have no bearing on your experience, makes absolutely no sense to me. Right. 
here's here's my two cents on it. So I feel like, first of all, I don't care whether a game has an easy mode or not. It doesn't make any difference to me. But when you're talking about, in in FromSoft's case at least, uh, a carefully crafted experience, right? They're they're crafting an experience. They're 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 trying to manipulate the highs and the, the emotional lows. And you saw it in in the first Dark Souls. You had that big buildup toward that O and S fight. The orange scene in Smo fight. And then you know what you're getting yourself into pretty much as soon as you walk in that door. Yeah. You don't know what exactly it is, but there's something there, and it's going to kill you a lot. Yeah. Um, now, when we're talking about like easy mode and accessibility, I, I feel like this is an important caveat to put out there. We are specifically not talking about disabilities. Right, no. right. Because we talked about you can reassign controls, and like yeah. that's great. Um, basically, like every game should do that. Because, yeah, there's like, no reason not to. Who knows yeah. if you're going to even have the same controller in five years? Yeah, there's you no reason need that. not to. But we're we're talking specifically about accessibility issues, not relating to disability. Yeah, so right. I, I feel like that's an important caveat. That being said, uh, I feel like with a carefully with a crafted experience, like you're kind of losing out on yourself. Like you're losing out on that experience for yourself if you want to do an easy mode especially with an experience like that it doesn't harm me but it, I, it asks like why are you even playing it i guess yeah like if why, done in that why way. bother and it kind of i'm more worried about what it means for the industry as a whole because if you have all of these games that are you know putting all this time into easy modes why not just make that the game you know, because you saw it in the transition of, like, the, the late 80s of, like, the super, like, difficult arcade games. Like, the Mega Man platformers. You had Super Ghouls of Ghosts. There was, like, all, all of those super hard platformers. And then you get into, like, the N64 era where everything's kind of getting a little easier. Like, there's not... Like, the N64 isn't known for its difficulty in its games. The PlayStation isn't known for its difficulty in games. It was more for, like, the tedium of, like, the JRPGs and just, like, the light jumping mechanics of, like, the Super Mario 64. They kind of shied away from from difficulty as a gameplay element. And then you start to kind of get back into that, and I'm afraid of that cycle restarting if, like, every game has an easy mode. Like, at that point, why even bother putting in the easy mode? If people are going to cry for an easy mode, just make that the game. Maybe. Uh, I'm not worried about the industry trending anywhere because the industry is already trended towards like really boring game design anyway. You know, yeah. like we might as well make everything an instance loot box generator. You know, like you'll play a game for 30 seconds and then wait 45 minutes in a queue while you open loot boxes. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, you'll you're basically just waiting for another update for more content that you don't care about. Yeah. Um, Speaking of loot boxes, you can get our the, the next podcast. In, this, in the, the loot box at the 7-Eleven, yeah. next, to the, hot next dogs. to the hot dogs. I'm going for that golden ketchup packet. We're, <laughs> nice. We're actually angling for a spot at the front of the counter, just underneath, next to the uh, the, the five gum. Ah. Yeah. We're going to see if we can we can move over to the gum aisle. And one thing to note, we, we said we were going to give an update on this, and I figured I'd give an update. You can find this podcast pretty much everywhere. We have it on Spotify iTunes, Stitcher, YouTube, no matter where you go, you can find the podcast. Make sure this is this is super important. If you enjoyed the podcast, make sure to leave a review. It really helps us out. It helps us get the word out 
to let people know, you know, you're really enjoying the podcast. And that helps us greatly. We want to know how we suck so we can yeah. suck less in the future. Like you telling us how good we are as much as we love hearing it and please keep doing it. It doesn't really help us get better with what it is we're trying to do. So tell us how we suck. What he's saying is smash that like button, fam. <laughs> <laughs> Remember to hit that bell for notifications. Join the notification squad. <laughs> nah, share your thoughts if you got any. Yeah, yeah please, let us know. Please. I mean, that that's just as important. to we. It's about being critical. That's kind of what this show is. It's yeah. us being critical critical about games in a sort of lighthearted manner and we're we're doing it for you guys so we want to make sure to deliver the best content we can if we would just wanted to sit and bullshit about video games we just sit in discord like we I'm wouldn't doing it for the money Me too. <laughs> that's sweet sweet but podcast we have to get them money. engaged to get the money that's the whole point doing it for the loot boxes, the loot boxes. <laughs> <laughs> golden right. ketchup packet they I said got, it's just mustard. I got 4,800. Oh, my God. It's mustard. <laughs> no. <laughs> this ketchup was made with mustard seeds. Friendship, friendship ended with golden ketchup packet. <laughs> <laughs> but no, seriously, like share your no. thoughts. We're, we're always curious to hear it. And if you have any ideas for things you'd like to hear us talk about. Uh, put them in the Discord. Join the Discord and put them there. Guys. That'll be in the description below. Also, all of our Twitch accounts will be there and our Twitter handles. That's the best, probably the best way to hit us up would be either through the Discord or through a direct message on Twitter or an at, whatever, whatever they call it. However they do them, it on the Bird website. <laughs> but now that we've whored ourselves out, is there a... Is there anything else we wanted to, to cover here? I have one thing I need to bring up because I actually, speaking of the fact that talking about people replying to you on twitter somebody needed to let me know that battletoads came out in 1991 and teenage mutant ninja turtles 2 arcade came out in 1989 okay so okay i said i wasn't sure but <laughs> i wanted to make sure i clarify let's, on... let's go back and edit last week's podcast yeah so i'm gonna go back okay. i'm gonna edit it make sure i say that that came out first so what yeah. you're saying is you spoke definitively and you were wrong i, <laughs> I mean I, and they let you know about it on the twitter i spoke Owned. to rare <laughs> And Rare clearly came out and said that Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was a ripoff of Battletoads. This is now confirmed. We we have sources. Okay. It's all there. Yeah. <laughs> well, as we all know, Battletoads was the best book of the Lord of the Rings franchise. It was. <laughs> You're right. So, yeah. Rip off of Lord of the Rings once again. For more memes like this, join the Discord. You might actually understand that one if you do. Join the Discord. <laughs> subscribe to the podcast so that you know when the next podcast is coming out. Yeah, and this one actually comes out today. So, today. Yeah, today. Actually, I think if you're listening to it, all podcasts came out to you today. So That's true. Just replace that with whatever day it happens to be. It's always today. If so I ain't heard it, it's new to me. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you, everybody, for listening. I appreciate it. And I will see you next time. And whatever time it happens to be, wherever it is you happen to be, I hope you have a good one. Nothing. Good night, Springton. There will be no encore. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>